Welcome to another episode of the Film Illiterates Podcast. Guys, we made it. Two episodes in one year. Yeah, hooray. <laughs> we're, we're keeping up with our New Year's resolution, everybody. We've actually made progress so far. Two podcasts, two podcasts in the same month. That's an improvement. As always, I'm Joe, and with me are my co-hosts today, uh, Nathan. Hey, guys, what's up? And Alex. Yo, how's it going? All right, that's enough, Alex. You talked enough for this All podcast. Right, I'm good. Thank you. I know. That's, nice that, to you that was pretty much it. He was going to tap out after this. But no, Alex, actually, actually, Alex, uh, stick around. Let, let us know. How have you been, man? It's been a while since we've last talked. Uh, not too bad, man. Moved to a new place. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's working out. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's, it's, uh, it's going pretty much the same since, uh, since we last talked. Not, not a whole lot has, uh, has changed out here. Uh, have you made friends with the uh, the rats in the basement already? Um, yeah, man, they're they're pretty nice. Uh, yeah. you know they keep stealing uh, <clears throat> my monster here, but uh, <laughs> you know. Hey, you know what? They they kind of think that's like the payoff. If you're invading in their space, they're they're gonna have some of your drink. You know. Yeah, you know, gotta pay my dues, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You guys are animals. <laughs> We're always been animals. There's the beast in all of us, Joe. Today we have a very special uh, episode of the Film Literates podcast because every episode is special. Christoph Kieslowski's Three Colors trilogy, Michael Haneke's Glaciation trilogy, and now with Glass opening this week, M. Night Shyamalan will be rounding out his East Rail 177 trilogy. Today we will be looking at the first two movies in this thematic trilogy, 2000's Unbreakable and 2016's Split. And fair warning, we will be getting into heavy spoilers on both movies. We're going to be diving into these two movies, how they connect, and potentially how they could be leading into Glass opening this week. Let's get started. But before we start talking about that, we're going to talk about what we've watched on our own recently. So, Alex, uh, since you've uh, been away for a while and coming back now, tell us, what have you been watching lately? Starting with me, huh? Um... Of course, I'm starting with you. <laughs> it's, it's, you're, you're the first year. It's the icebreaker, man. We always go through this routine. Right. So. Fair. Um, I, I've actually been getting into a little bit more of, um, I mean, I, kind of like the stuff that I always watch. I watch a lot of YouTube, um, a lot of gaming stuff. Um, I've been getting into watching Twitch a lot lately. Mm -hmm. Watching a lot of um, a lot of Overwatch and recently a, t a lot of uh, Destiny 2 uh, streamers on there. Um, so that's mostly been what I've been getting into, like during my overnight shifts. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, I've been watching, been getting a bit into a bit more uh, anime recently. Um, I started, I picked up the, or started the uh, series Goblin Slayer after pretty much like the internet kind of blew up about it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's been pretty cool so far. Uh, still got to catch up quite a bit, but could you give us a quick little synopsis of uh, Goblin Slayer? Yeah. There's a uh, there's a guy. His mm -hmm. name is Goblin Slayer, and he uh, kills goblins. That's that's it's, that's pretty much the, the, the anime. That's very self-explanatory. Very self-explanatory. Yeah. I mean, that's the basic idea of it. There's other stuff that goes on. He has a new adventurer set in like a fantasy land. He set. He has a new adventure with them. He's working with and a bunch more stuff. I've only kind of gotten into the first four episodes or so, where it's kind of mostly setting up the uh, the world and. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it's really gotten too heavily into the uh, what's going to be the overarching plot, but I, I'm digging it so far. It's simple. It's not some real high-minded concept. It's just it's good. But um, other than that, I started also watching. There's another. Uh, it's a shorter series. It's called uh, Skull-Faced Bookseller Hondasan. That is the best title for anything ever. Actually, <laughs> actually a lot of Japanese animes actually have very, very good uh, anime titles. Like it, they're very misleading, but they stick with you. Well, this one's this one's not misleading because the guy literally has he's a skeleton, mm -hmm. so he's got a skull face, and he sells books. That's you know kind of like <laughs> Goblin Slayer describing everything in the title. This mm -hmm. one describes it in the title as well. Mm -hmm. It's it's fun. It, it's a really short one where like each episode is only about eleven minutes. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just kind of the goings on of someone working at a uh, like a bookstore in Japan, and it, it's pretty great. The main character is hilarious. A lot of good stuff in it. It's very fun, yeah. very fun, very easy to watch. 
that's that's essentially kind of what I've been up or when been watching. Um, I've still been playing a lot of Destiny. Uh, I'm still listening to a lot of music. So yeah, well, we'll have to definitely do a, a podcast on music one of these days, uh, Alex, and uh, we'll definitely have to have you lead that conversation. Hell yeah, man, I'd be down. Cool. I don't listen to modern music, so <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I listen the stuff I listen to it, like like if you see my playlist it's just all stuff from like the 60s through the 80s and then mm-hmm. classical music. <laughs> Joe, we got we got to turn you on to some good stuff, man. Yeah, you can try. Yeah, you can try. Some 90s R&B and some uh slasher music, yeah. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Uh I guess I'll go next if that's okay mm-hmm. with you Nate. Um Sure. So, I I actually got a chance yesterday uh, to go to the Seattle Cinerama Theater, which is which was my first time being there. I've been to the Cinerama Theater in LA, but I've never been to the one in Seattle, despite it being closer to me now. So I decided to go there yesterday, and guys, just like the big screen experience is, it, it's it's great if you can get a theater like this, like one of these big event theaters with the wide, you know, the, the super huge wide screen and. Yeah, you know the, the the stadium seating and the balconies and everything. It was great. It was just, just the whole experience was a ton of fun. Uh, the movie I went to go see was they were showing James Cameron's The Terminator, the original, ooh, the one that started it all. And I'm, uh, I, it's it's a good movie. It's a great movie. It's it's um not the sort of movie I found that necessarily needs to be seen on the big screen though. It was great. The sound was phenomenal this time. Just hearing all those special effects and the lasers and the music that that booming score that those opening titles were just amazing to watch posted on this gigantic screen Mm -hmm. you know with the 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 rumbling theme underneath everything yeah it kind of reminds me joe of the last time we cover up at the syndrome theater in la to watch jim cameron's uh aliens that's right so both times i've been to a a a, a cinemascope theater with james James cameron movies so i will also test that you know nothing does replace an experience quite like that so if anyone has not had the chance to experience a definitely check your local listings if you live in the la area near the syndrome or somewhere up there in seattle please make some time to see one of those films it's it's something you will not regret yeah the terminator though uh interestingly seeing that seeing it projected on such a large screen this time and i was sitting probably about five rows back from the front which i was afraid was going to be overwhelming but it, it, it was fine i was able to see everything without craning my neck which was great but i i noticed small details that james cameron i don't think wanted the audience to notice just because it was right there in your face <laughs> for instance matte paintings were kind of a little bit shaky and that really stands out when it's blown up on this giant screen or there's one scene where they're in one of the future sequences there's a car that flips over and blows up and you see in the wreckage there's like a clear mannequin was supposed to be a guy but it's a mannequin <laughs> on fire and it just it, it stands out but guys the the thing about terminator the terminator's effects are are dated the movie is fantastic it works as this great mm-hmm. thriller sci-fi horror i mean here's some, it, it changed everything that we know about time travel and thriller movies all in one movie i mean exactly yeah and the movie itself though uh from an effect standpoint they didn't have a huge budget going in and the the effects are fairly dated mm-hmm. uh, to, to varying degrees some some are better than others but the one effect that has never aged very well is Arnold's rubber face when he's changing out his uh, his eye, mm-hmm. the, the, the eyeball surgery. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of shots there where it's just an animatronic Arnold Schwarzenegger head. Mm-hmm. And that has never looked great. It's no. a cool shot, but the effect itself has never looked great. <laughs> On this Cinerama uh, screen... It was just like like people were laughing in the theater just because it's so like in your face right yeah. there this big rubber face yeah um, but the, but the experience was great people cheered at all the lines and mm-hmm. you know uh, I'll be back and mm-hmm. all that stuff people laughed and cheered every time the uh, the psychiatrist was on screen so it was it was it was a great it was fantastic ten out of ten mm-hmm. uh, uh, so tying into that though the the, the next movie that I'm going to talk about that I watched was Black Moon Rising. It's a movie from 1986, also starring Linda Hamilton. And this one has Tommy Lee Jones. It is uh, from IMDb. A thief is hired by the Justice Department to steal incriminating tapes from a corrupt corporation. The tapes vanish when Quint hides them in the back of a hydromatic-powered racing car that is stolen by a hot car ring. So... (laughs) 
It's basically uh-huh. Tommy Lee Jones plays a thief, a professional mm-hmm. thief, who steals a future car, or he has to steal a future car because it's got uh, some some tapes that he needs hidden in the back. And it's part, you know, 80s thriller, kind of street thriller, part mm-hmm. heist movie. And it's a lot of fun. Lyndall Hamilton, Linda Hamilton shows up. She's in a sex scene that's almost shot for shot, exactly like the sex scene from The Terminator, which was very strange. It's, so, it's so weird that you know that you can that you like, yeah, that you recognize that. Yeah. So so basically, <laughs> Joe's trying to admit that he is actually trying to find all the films that Linda Hamilton is in, all the soft core <laughs> porn scenes. We're gonna rate the top top ten <laughs> smutty little Linda Hamilton scenes in movies. Yeah, that's terrible. That's uh, terrible. I know because you dig a lot into that. You're gonna find some unpleasant stuff. Oh. Uh, movie the movie itself though is a lot of fun it's mm-hmm. it's, it's not top tier 80s pulp but uh it's it's it's, it's worth a decent watch if you're, if you're into 80s mm-hmm. kind of uh see the movie isn't sci-fi despite having kind of fringe sci-fi uh, elements it's basically okay, okay. i mean i mean it's, it's this future car uh they it's do cool. they, they 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 jump it between skyscrapers just like in furious 7 <laughs> so, so it's so it has been more like a furious 7 meets uh repo man in a way yeah, but the the future elements, I mean, the sci-fi elements are really just kind of like the 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 building, the skyscraper they have to steal it out of, steal the car out of, mm-hmm. has high tech future security mm-hmm. measures, and there's lots of you know, you know goons running around with machine guns, and this car is sleek and it's designed by a guy who works for NASA in the movie, and <laughs> all that all that kind of stuff. Basically, basically, basically the guy who works for NASA built a future car <laughs> that goes real fast. Oh gosh. <laughs> Uh, it's a a decent movie i i would recommend finally i'm going to talk about shout factory the uh, boutique blu-ray company distributor they recently released a copy of the plague dogs on blu-ray ah so this is the movie that you introduced the katiri to oh yes this is katiri's first animated movie was the plague dogs (laughs) (laughs) no katiri did not watch the plague dogs for those that don't know the plague dogs is a 1982 movie Two dogs escape from a laboratory and are hunted as possible carriers of the bubonic plague. So this this movie, though, um, I, I, I hadn't seen it before. I blind bought it from Shout Factory because I kind of have a personal connection to the plague dogs as a property. Because it, it, this was directed by the same guy who directed Watership Down. And it's based on a book which was also written by the same guy who wrote Watership Down. And when I was a kid or in high school or way, way back then, I read Watership Down and then I read The Plague Dogs right after that. And The Plague Dogs had a much heavier impact on me. I, I, I enjoyed that one a lot more as a kid. It kind of hit me a little closer to home. And uh, I just connected with the characters uh, a lot more because it's, it's, it's really it's just, just these, these two dogs on the run from an experimental laboratory that's, was, that's been torturing them with scientific experiments and these dogs are just trying to find an owner and the book does a great job of getting you into these dogs heads because the dogs talk but they 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 act like dogs even though they talk and we can understand them but everything they say is very relatable as in oh if a dog could talk this is the sort of thing it would think about and the sort of thing it would say mm-hmm. and the book got that across very well and that translated into the movie wonderfully the the movie is very very bleak it's one of the bleakest movies I've ever seen. Yeah. And it's just what an hour and a half, almost two hours. If you watch the extended cut of just these animated dogs trying to survive in this wilderness while they're being hunted down and all just the worst horrible shit happens to them. And it's, it's a downer of a movie. If you love dogs, uh, I would definitely recommend you should watch if you love dogs, because (laughs) <laughs> you love this movie. It's, a, I, you know, I take back everything I said. If you're a dog lover, watch this movie. It's the most heartwarming, joy-filled thing you've ever seen. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, I would highly recommend the Plague Dogs for people that that I think could make it through the movie. Uh, there are certain people this movie will probably be triggering for, uh, but for those that can stand it, it's it's a wonderful movie. Even just the way they animate the dogs, it, it, it's it's a, it's a very grown up movie. It is not a, an animated movie for kids. It was 
think was given a PG-13 rating on release. Guys, this is a borderline R-rated movie. Very much so. I will definitely say I've seen the movie as well. And I'll say to people, if you can get past the first three minutes of this film, just the first three minutes alone, you can, you'll survive. The opening credits are just dark red over black over the sound of a dog drowning. Like that's like that's how they open the movie. Wow. Jeez, that's Joe, just why'd the you tone give it away? What you're getting in for. Why'd you give it away? <laughs> no, I'm not giving away the end of the movie. Just wait until you get there. I know, but that's what I was like. You just let them watch and experience for themselves. Don't don't let don't let that slip out away. Right? Spoilers. Oh, 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 you're, you're, you're spoilers for the opening shot of the plague dogs. <laughs> I know. <laughs> when did, when did, when did you say this came out? 1982. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and uh, and 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 I watched the uh, the extended the the UK cut, which I think they cut like 18 minutes of the movie, including one of the goriest shots of the movie was actually cut out of the US release. But uh, that's that's what I watched was the uh, the the extended edition of the movie. And so so, so I don't I don't know I don't, I, I can't compare it to the theatrical edition in the US mm-hmm. because I've never seen the US version. Still, it's included on the Blu-ray. Maybe one day I'll check it out and see what was all that was taken out. But that is what I watched recently. Nice. I'm gonna have to check that one out. That sounds good. It's yeah. a fantastic movie. You, you, you would like it, Alex. You should come over sometime from San Diego up to Seattle, and we'll have a movie night <laughs> yeah, on a nice rainy day. Yeah, when there's like it's dark outside and there's no heat anywhere. Yeah. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very romantic evening right there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, Nate. All right, Nate, what have you been watching lately? Okay, so uh, recently I revisited a film I have recently watched already, um, only because this this movie is on Netflix right now, and my roommate was watching it with his girlfriend, uh, but I also went and saw it on the big screen. Um, I saw Alfonso Cuaron's uh, Roma. Uh, basically, this film is an autobiographical portrait of Alfonso when he was growing up with his family in Mexico, and they had a maid who lived with them, who was kind of part of the family. And so this film, as he's kind of told many critics out there, is kind of like a um, a tribute to her, where, you know, there was this time uh, while growing up, while they were going through a kind of a traumatic family experience and how she played a part in all of their lives. And this is kind of like his love letter to her and his way of saying, like, you know, we appreciate you so much for what you have been for us and what we weren't able to do for you. But the movie is as simplistic and as bleak as it is, it's shot in black and white, and there's not a whole lot of action that happens throughout the whole film, but it's gorgeous. Like, the way he is able to recreate uh, 1970s Mexico and just that environment and landscape is done beautifully. And you could tell, like, even though this was something, like, right after he had, like, with all the success he did with uh, uh, Gravity, he could have done any project, and yet he chose this, and there's just so much heart and so much beauty to it. Um, that I would, I, there's a, there's just a lot of stuff that he tackles with. And there's a lot of stuff that Alfonso Cuaron is really good at in all of his films, how he explores, you know, humanity and life and love. And it just all comes into this. And he's, he does a very interesting, unique twists on it. But some of the shots in here are very impressive for it just being very simple camera work. I mean, there's a beach shot that it's just like an entire scene just done in one take, but how he's able to pull that off and just one take is is quite impressive. Um, I enjoyed it, but for anyone who is looking for something on more of like, you know, a, a children of men or gravity level, uh, don't expect that with this film. It's, um, it's kind of more of like a very simple kind of a movie. In fact, some of the shots, you will probably think to yourself, um, what's going on with the shot? Um, but anyway, that's what I watched or rewatched really. And then uh, another classic that I watched uh, was uh, Blazing Saddles. I'm a huge uh, Mel Brooks fan. And this was kind of the film that uh, I saw years ago when I was a kid. And to this day, the comedy still holds up. And that's one thing that continues to impress me about this movie is that even though this was like back in 1974 and a lot of stuff that was coming out was very racy and very, you know, taboo at the time. Today, most people would look at it and it's like, uh, it's, it's dated, but Honestly, I think the comedy still works for me. And I think, uh, Joe, Alex, have you guys uh, seen Blake and Settles? Oh, it's a great movie. I've it's probably, probably my favorite uh, Mel Brooks movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I showed that to Katie for the first time, actually, within the past year or two. And it's, 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 it's definitely up there. I mean, I mean, I would, I wouldn't say the, I wouldn't say the movie's dated i think the jokes if anything are more relevant today than ever mm-hmm. yeah and that's actually one thing i do love about the movie as well is that 
the way it was able to just poke fun at race and just political issues and just like a lot of stuff that Hollywood just did not want to touch at the time. And today the comedy is still like, it's a good a template of like what comedy is and what it should be and how it should continue to be. And one thing I like about Mel Brooks is I think his comedy shines the best back in the seventies. Um, you know, there's also some stuff he did back in the nineties, like, you know, Robin Hood, Men in Tides, Dracula, Dead and Loving It. Um, and, and they're okay, but there's just something about when he shot his comedies in the 70s that it it's just, they're gems to watch. And even just his shot steps and how he directs certain scenes, it just fits within that proscenium. Um, my favorite scenes continue to be the governor scenes where he's where Mel Brooks is this cross-eyed governor and him like bantering off of with uh, Harvey Corman. It's, it's fantastic. So if anyone has not watched it, uh, drop everything and watch it. Okay. All right. See you guys later. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it, everyone else. No, Alex. <laughs> no, Alex. No, I've, I've heard like nothing but good things about that, but I, yeah, I just haven't actually put in the time to to getting around to it. Mm -hmm. Have oh, you seen God, any any Mel Brooks movies, Alex? He must have at least. Uh, maybe. Uh, uh, young Young Frankenstein, yeah. Spaceballs. Uh, Spaceballs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Spaceballs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, feel, I feel like Spaceballs is the one that where if you haven't seen any other Mel Brooks movies, you've at least seen Spaceballs. It's yeah, so I, ingrained yeah. in the public consciousness. Yeah, and I think a lot of people are more familiar with Spaceballs just because we have such a huge Star Wars fandom that mm -hmm. you know that movie just makes fun of like uh, Star Wars to a T. Yeah, yeah I feel like yeah. If if anyone's watched Star Wars or like gotten sort of any sort of any into it in any sort of capacity, mm -hmm. you've at least heard about it. If not. If not, watch Spaceballs. Exactly. Yeah, that's I, I do. I do like that one. That was good. Yeah, uh, Nathan, have you seen anything else you want to talk about? Uh, no, that's pretty much it. Uh, I think well, everything else I was just watching was to just talk about uh, today for our uh, East Rail One Seventy Seven trilogy. Alrighty, well, was that? One. I actually did have one thing I forgot to mention during mine. Shoot, and it wasn't wasn't what I watched, but rather more of what I listened to. Uh, I actually put finally finalized my like top 20 albums of the year of uh well last year um so i finally set that set the time aside and figured that all out from like a 40 plus albums or so that i originally had on my list but um i ended up going with uh i think my yeah my favorite album of the year was uh kind of a smaller band called wayfarer their album world's blood which is a absolutely solid piece of uh like atmospheric black metal and uh, post metal album. So if you haven't, if you're interested in any sort of any any of that any of those genres at all, that's definitely one to really start off with because the opening track is gonna hook you in like nothing else. I think I listened to that thing, mm -hmm. that one way more than a lot of the other albums. Do you have a favorite genre of music, Alex? Uh, not really. Uh. There, there's, there's a, I mean, I, I can listen to a bunch of different stuff, so I, I can't really say I have a specific favorite. There's a bunch of alb or genres where I like. There's a bunch of genres that I really like, and I get a lot of, get a lot out of. Um, for me, that's a lot of, um, a lot of post rock, um, a lot of atmospheric black metal. Um, I, recently, this past year, I actually really got into screamo and. And not not so much like the, like what a, most people think of screamo is, which is like a lot of like under oath or like metalcore bands, but like mm -hmm. like early two thousands, a little bit of the late nineties, and kind of what's coming up is almost like the screamo revival with like Jillian mm -hmm. Carter and like Cassis and stuff like that. Yeah, so we'll actually have a, a reference somewhere. Uh, we'll we'll play a clip of what you know some of the music that Alex is talking about, just to give it a taste of you know dogging this. Like, what he, I'm, not, I'm not sure if you want to, because you could you might scare some people off with that. No, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it. Go for it. Yeah, I I, I I I hate to say this, but I am so uh, outside the the common or the the, the, the current musical. Uh, arena that I, I really have no idea like what's out there today and what people are into like I, I think the last album I really got psyched for was when John Carpenter released an album oh my just, gosh just because I love <laughs> yeah. John Carpenter but and like, yeah. like like and I love his music but that just shows you just kind of how uneducated I am when it comes to the modern musical scene 
Yeah, I remember that. Uh, I think it was Lost Themes. That was good. But Lost Themes two, and after that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot. Yeah, I forgot about the second one. Um, but I mean, well, there's st- there's stuff we can get you into. I mean, right mm-hmm. now, I don't know. I, I I really don't go off of like what's kind of on the top forty charts and stuff like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that does. Which really is probably matter. what which is probably what I hear the most commonly, just like exactly. you know, on the radio. Yeah, I mean, there's there's every everything that's that's had that's like any genres of old are still around or any genres that used to be super popular just because they're not on the top 40s you know list doesn't mean that they just don't exist anymore there are hundreds of thousands of artists doing independent work signed to smaller labels that are still releasing not only albums like new albums that are you know reinventing older genres or mixing newer genres together um there's a lot of stuff out there that that just i guess for lack of a better term sounds old it sounds like it has a classic like a style to it um so there's always i mean if if you're not psyched about what's being you know what's you're you're listening to on the radio there is still a bunch of stuff Mm -hmm. that you can really dig into you just gotta kind of look for and dig for it a little bit uh, for the long and short of it all, basically the music scene is pretty much just like the movie scene. Like, you know, there are so many different people doing indie stuff or studio projects. It's you really have to find what your palette is most, you know, lenient towards and just kind of go with it. So I think I don't know, yeah. Alex, maybe we should do a podcast on some music. Um since, you know, it makes sense to be on a podcast. So I don't Welcome know. Welcome to uh, musical yeah. literates. Yeah, musical yeah, literates. We we could school Joe on everything. That'd be great. Exactly. We'll do that. <laughs> a new a new section called Joe Got Schooled in Music. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And with that, we are now ready to go into our main dis- main topic of discussion. What do you want? I am here to see if tales of the extraordinary being are true. May I meet the beast? I'm Mary Reynolds. <laughs> I need your abilities to get us all out of here and show the world we exist. That sounds like the bad guys teaming up. Glass opens up this week. This is the third M. Night Shyamalan movie in his East Rail 177 trilogy, which began with Unbreakable, continued with Split, and is now concluding this year, bringing the two movies together. So let's just get started with you, Nathan. So what, what, what's, what's your history with Unbreakable and Split? When was the first time you, you, you watched them? And what was your reaction to the ending of Split the first time you saw it? Okay, so yeah, to kind of go off of that, I mean, I remember watching Unbreakable at the time when I guess uh, M Night was getting really popular after the Sixth Sense. You know, people were looking to him as like the the man who makes these thrillers with a twist at the end. Um, so kind of going into Unbreakable, the way it was like, it felt like it was marketed as like you know kind of similar in that same vein. Um, and then when I saw it, I think my um, the way I approached it was, I think at the time I was a little young to kind of really get into it. But then over the years, as I've kind of revisited again and watched it again, as I kind of delved more into the geek culture and that comic book culture, um, I see that it's a very smart movie in what it's trying to do. Only because what it's trying to do is do a different take on the superhero genre without it being so bluntly obvious that it's a superhero movie. Um, and in real in reality, he's trying to show what would superpowers be like in real life. It wouldn't be anything like you would see, you know, in the uh, Marvel universe or even just the Dark Knight trilogy universe. You're, you are kind of getting just real people doing, uh, you know, these unbelievable things and just in the context of, well, this is the world that they live in. And so I thought just kind of looking back and revisiting it again, I've, I've come to appreciate Unbreakable the more times as I've watched it and kind of watching it again, I was able to pick up on a lot more of that. And I think it is still one of uh, M. Night Shyamalan's uh, strongest works. Um, as far as Split goes, um, revisiting that film, Joe, I remember when it first came out, you were super hyped about that movie. And I think one of the things that I was drawn to with Split was uh, just Jamie McAvoy's acting. You know, the way it was marketed, what critics were saying about him at the time was this is a movie that's showing James McAvoy's chops as an actor. It was something that he got a lot of just carte blanche, just like, you know, develop all of these 23 different personalities and bring them into one character. And that's a huge feat. But 
I remember watching it and just being most impressed about that. The rest of the movie just, it felt very uncomfortable for me. M. Night Shyamalan was kind of like starting to kind of expose a little bit more of this darker underline of the human, you know, psyche. Um, but overall, just kind of just enjoying James McAvoy's acting altogether. It's the one thing that kind of carried me through that the whole movie. So uh, I I grew up with M. Night Shyamalan movies. Um because he made what, 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 what when did when did the sixth sense come out uh 1999 yeah so so i didn't see the sixth sense when it first came out uh but it was one of the ones that i went back to see after i saw signs which i think was kind of the first mm -hmm. m night Shyamalan movie that really hooked me in because i would have been what 11 years old when signs came out mm -hmm. and it blew me away at at the time that was the scariest movie I'd ever seen. And, 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 and since then, I've kind of reevaluated the movie and the rest of M. Night Shyamalan's filmography over the years. Mm -hmm. But at the time, I watched Signs, and I had to go back, and I, you know, I watched The Sixth Sense for the first time. And the one M. Night Shyamalan movie that kind of skipped me by at the time was Unbreakable. And I don't think I saw that one until I was in high school or maybe even college. I don't remember. It was, it was a while after you know, Shyamalan's quote unquote, fall from grace Yeah, <laughs> that I watched Unbreakable. But I'd always heard that it was one of his better movies, but no one really seemed to talk about it. And when I saw it, I liked it. I thought Unbreakable was great. And it's, it's kind of grown in my esteem over the years. I watched it for, I think, maybe the third or fourth time just this past week in preparation for this podcast. Mm -hmm. And it's easily, for me right now, it's his second best movie right under The Sixth Sense. Split, when that came out, I was greatly looking forward to it because this is right after Shyamalan's kind of resurgence with mm -hmm. The Visit, which was the first movie to not get entirely panned by everybody in quite a while. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. so, so we had heard for years, and we'll talk about this a, a little bit more about how valid this is, but I, we'd heard for years that he always wanted to do an, uh, a sequel to Unbreakable. Mm -hmm. And... I just kind of figured it would never happen at this point because it had been so long. He had tried to build yeah. himself back up at this point. And we just kind of thought, all right, well, we'll never see a sequel to Unbreakable. Everyone's kind of forgot about it. So when I went to go see Split. It was, yeah, I, 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 I thought it was a fairly decent movie. I saw it in theaters. I was excited for it. I thought it actually was a pretty great movie mm -hmm. uh, overall. I wasn't in love with it, but, you know, it was kind of like, yeah, this is good enough. M. Night's back. I could think I can firmly say he's, he's making good movies again. I can't wait to see what he's doing next. Mm -hmm. But that, that ending stinger that ties the movie back into Unbreakable. I, I, I didn't know that was coming. I had heard that there were twists at the mm -hmm. time. When the movie ended, I kind of was thinking that they were like, well, that was a good movie, but I don't see like the big twist was. What the twist was that he was in a zoo the whole time? I mean, that was not really that big of a <laughs> yeah. twist. No. And then they revealed Bruce Willis at the end there. Uh -huh. And I just lost my mind. I was like, 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 for a man known for for twist endings, mm -hmm. I still didn't see that coming because it was so outside the realm of possibility. Wait, mm -hmm. he's just coming back. Now he's making a sequel to mm -hmm. Unbreakable. Mm -hmm. Wait, but the rights issues, how, like my head was like trying to wrap myself around I know. <laughs> how this was working. And the guy sitting next to me, this uh -huh. total stranger, was just like, oh my gosh. And his girlfriend was like, huh? What? <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. And that was kind of like <laughs> the, the theater was just split on like, you know, half the people. Uh, uh, yeah, there. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I'll be here all night. <laughs> but, 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 but the 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 theater was was really divided on people who got what was going on there, and people who just never seen or even heard of Unbreakable. They're just there for the new McAvoy movie. <laughs> yeah. They just uh, let the uh, Charles Xavier basically be bald and wear a dress. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I quite enjoy Split, um, and I'm looking forward to Glass and, and seeing how they tie it all, all, all into it. But I, am, I have always been on board the M. Night Shyamalan train, mm -hmm. even through all the years that he'd been you know, making The Last Airbender and The Happening. I've kind of been sitting on the sidelines just waiting for him to come back because there is enough talent in Unbreakable and in The Sixth Sense to show you that there is a skilled filmmaker and storyteller hidden in here somewhere and he's just going through a real rough patch of just whatever he's working through and i'm just waiting for him to come back i'm finally i'm happy that i'm vindicated all these years for waiting for him every one of us has to wait in a chair and barry he decides who stands in the light but barry lost that power because of me 
I can wish myself in the light anytime I want. It's a, it's a special power. Yeah, so Alex, yeah. You, you, you saw a split just for the first time today, is that right? Yeah, actually, yeah, just early, earlier today. Um, I had, you know, when, when I saw that it was coming out, um, and I kind of, and I watched the trailer, I was, I was kind of psyched for it. You know, I thought, I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, I never made it, you know, never made it see it in theaters and waited for, you know, a long ass time to actually see it. But no, I was it, kind of like what you were, t- what you were saying, Joe, I, it was, it seemed like M. Night Shyamalan was kind of coming back into his own, coming back into a lot better content for his movies. So it was, it was, it was nice to see that and nice to see people getting hyped up about it. I had seen Unbreakable years ago. I remember not thinking of it so much as a superhero movie. I, I do remember thinking of it more as a as a thriller. It never struck me as a superhero movie, but I kind of liked that. I didn't, you know, I, I liked that it was a bit more grounded, I guess you could say. It wasn't over the top at all. Um, maybe the ideas that they were kind of presenting were a little bit more, but the way that it showed that really didn't push it. I, I haven't really been too big a fan of M. Night Shyamalan. I've only seen a few of his movies um watched six cents years ago um i actually i know a lot of people don't really like it but i actually kind of liked the village i remember seeing that and was pretty intrigued by it i I think if anything one thing i'll say about the village is i liked what he was going with that concept Mm -hmm. i liked what ideas and themes he was presenting i kind of felt like that was just at a time where he was kind of and stumbling on his own his own trademarks and his own cliches. And I think that was getting in the way with a lot of like what he was trying to say in that film. Um, Cause I think if he had just basically done away with that and not had to follow like the same template that he'd been doing with like unbreakable six sense signs, I think it would have been a stronger movie because there's a lot of elements in it that are great. And maybe you're right. uh, um, uh, uh, Joe and Alex is that I'm not not necessarily a thriller director, but he uses like thriller elements to tell the stories he wants to tell, which are not always kind of like belonging to like one genre or another. They're kind of their own little thing. And I think maybe that's the reason why he's able to kind of create that uh, hallmark for himself that, you know, what makes an M. Night Shyamalan film. And I think that's just something that, you know, made something he's kind of, he's basically had to learn the hard way, had to learn some mistakes from, but I think that's one thing that, you know, all these movies have kind of like just work. Well, that's, that's one of the interesting things about looking at Unbreakable and Split in the same context as part of a, a trilogy mm-hmm. is that they're, when you see that they're connected, mm-hmm. it's easy to, 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 to see how they kind of match together. Mm-hmm. But just kind of on their own, they're very different movies. Unbreakable mm-hmm. is more of a, a drama. It's trying to take a superhero concept and grounding it in some sort of reality. It's saying, mm-hmm. okay, what if these superhero stories aren't about people with fantastic abilities and, and you know, futuristic technology and giant supervillains. What if it's just about a guy who just can't get hurt and he's struggling to save his marriage mm-hmm. and he's up against another guy who's just a, a, a terrorist and a mastermind mm-hmm. and it takes everything and makes it small scale. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah. which which is nice to see yeah. in a, a superhero type movie. And actually, that's something yeah. I wanted to kind of comment on, especially with Bruce Willis's character Unbreakable. You know, one thing that uh, Samuel Jackson's character points out is like, you know, you could be anything. You could have done a lot more with your life. Why are you being a security guard at this uh, stadium and you know just dealing with just this kind of crowd of people all the time? You could do more with your life. And that's kind of an interesting concept where it's like, you're right, Joe it's grounding this idea in reality and someone like that would see himself, his purpose in that kind of a setting. Like he can still do good. He can still try to help people on a regular basis, but not have to take all that kind of glory. Um, and even like, you know, him surviving this train crash that happens, it's still something that he doesn't take any pride in or something that he likes the idea that all these people died. It, it brings to the forefront that, that was one thing I've always wanted to see in a superhero like genre, and I mean, I just was bold enough to make that statement. And if you look at Unbreakable, it really is a smaller drama at its heart, and it's and it's it's a lot. It's a quieter movie, and Bruce Willis is a very introspective character 
And it's interesting to compare that to Split because once you look at Split in that context, in mm -hmm. the context of a quote-unquote superhero type story, mm -hmm. it's kind of the same thing. And mm -hmm. the, 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 the movie takes a lot of opportunities mm -hmm. to point out that Kevin's abilities here are just an a a it's an exaggeration or or, or, or or should I say what you see in comic books is an exaggeration of the sorts of things that Kevin has. So 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 Kevin has these abilities and the movie wants to show you that his abilities are something different, something new, something uh not supernatural, but kind of beyond what the human body can actually do. But it's not quite far enough to make it uh, extraordinary and yeah. you know amazing like these these big comic book stories. So in, in 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 that way, it's kind of the same thing in that it's it's taking a comic book topic and grounding it. I've studied the form of comics intimately. I spent a third of my life in a hospital bed with nothing else to do but read. I believe comics are our last link to an ancient way of passing on history. The Egyptians drew on walls. Countries all over the world still pass on knowledge through pictorial forms. I believe comics are a form of history that someone somewhere felt or experienced. Then, of course, those experiences and that history got chewed up in the commercial machine, got jazzed up, made titillating cartoon for the sale rack. The city has seen its share of disasters. I watched the aftermath of that plane crash. I watched the carnage of the hotel fire. I watched the news waiting to hear a very specific combination of words, but they never came. Then one day I saw a news story about a train accident and I heard them. There is a sole survivor and he is miraculously unharmed. I have something called osteogenesis imperfecta. It's a genetic disorder. I don't make a particular protein very well and it makes my bones very low in density, very easy to break. I've had 54 breaks in my life and I have the tamest version of this disorder, type one. There are type two, type three, type four. Type fours don't last very long. So that's how it popped into my head. If there is someone like me in the world, and I'm at one end of the spectrum, couldn't there be someone else, the opposite of me at the other end? Someone who doesn't get sick, who doesn't get hurt like the rest of us. And he probably doesn't even know it. The kind of person these stories are about. So on the outset, it looks like Split Unbreakable are kind of doing the same thing, but the difference is in the execution. And over you know the past what twenty years, uh, the way that M Night is approaching the subject matter is very different, mm -hmm. because just like in the visit, Split plays into the unnatural dialogue for comedy, mm -hmm. and a lot of the things that Kevin says is very funny, but it's funny not because it's necessarily jokey. It's funny because no one talks like that. Mm -hmm. And one of the best examples I think of this is in the opening of the movie where there's a father talking to his two daughters about whether or not to leave the main character, Casey, at this birthday party or whether they should give her a ride home. Mm -hmm. And one of the lines that he says just sounds so unnatural. I was thinking like, nobody talks like this. Yeah. You know, you know, did, did I convey that this was a democracy? We are not <laughs> taking, we're not leaving her here. Yeah. Um, that just goes back to like those trademark styles that M Night has kind of built himself up over the years. So, like you can tell yeah. that's like something that would belong in an M Night Shyamalan film. Yeah, exactly. But whereas in something like Lady in the Water and The Happening, I, I don't feel like he was very aware of of how cringeworthy his dialogue was. I think now he knows that people find that funny and awkward, and he just runs with it. And mm -hmm. a lot of things he had, and, and that that plays into James McAvoy's uh, his. Uh, are you talking about Hedwig or uh, like uh, even just like Dennis, like the different personalities? Framing the personalities. Yeah, framing personalities. Yeah, but uh, and that plays into James McAvoy's advantage here because when he's going crazy with these different personalities, he's mm -hmm. just able to have fun with it and deliver these lines like, all right, just don't take any of this seriously. Hedwig can 
talk about one topic and then switch over to another one at any 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 second when he's acting as uh, I forget what the uh, the woman personality's name was. He said, "Yeah, uh, Patricia. It's Patricia. Patricia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I can just stand up and just kind of walk a little bit more aloof and have these weird twitches. Um, and I think he's just having a lot of fun with this movie. So whereas Unbreakable is a grounded, dramatic, almost somber movie, Split mm-hmm. is just a crazy, wacky, uh, very uncomfortable at times. Yeah, because actually, yeah. I do want to kind of bring that to attention. Is I, as much as like you're saying, Joe, like he is kind of uh, acknowledging his uh, the, the fun that you can have with his dialogue. I still don't think Split is actually a um, a fun movie to watch, just because of what it delves into with the human psyche and just some things that humans are capable of doing and what draws them to that. I mean, there's this whole like. Um, a B storyline that's going on with uh, the girl Casey's character, which yeah. is very unpleasant. And that ties in a lot with what, you know, James McAvoy's uh, De- uh, Kevin's character has undergone all of his life. And I think M. Night Shyamalan is really trying to also address something about that, about the human condition and bringing that to the light of this universe he is creating or just, you know, story and this narrative he's trying to tell with these three movies. No, wait, 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 no, 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 don't do that, don't do that, he can't handle reality. My name is Jade, has Dr. Fletcher been getting our emails? This is what we have to do, we can... As in 1008, when Anandapala suffered the Shahi's most crushing defeat, and Mahmud overran the entirety of the Punjab region, taking the famed Temple of Kangra, we have been wronged by this alliance, this horde of Patricia, Dennis, and the boy. Their actions do not represent us. They are every... Everybody just take a minute. Oh, baby girl. They've been stealing control of the life from me, but the group are going to work through this. Honey, my name is Barry. the walkie-talkie yeah it's the the casey storyline with her, her her whole past and the sexual abuse with her uncle mm-hmm. i i have mixed feelings about that because mm-hmm. i think that m Knight at heart wants to tackle serious subjects and he he's always tackled topics that are important to him such as mm-hmm. in signs he tackled a crisis of faith and mm-hmm. what what it means to have trust in a higher power Mm-hmm. And he's always done this, mm-hmm. and, but but in Split is the first time that he's dealt with something so uh, kind of uncomfortable with specifically child sexual abuse, which is a very heavy topic. It is, yeah. And I'm not convinced that what he does with it here necessarily justifies it being in the movie. And I think part of that is with how Casey as a character is dealt with ultimately at the end of the movie, Mm -hmm. because that was actually, I was going to comment on that. That was the one things I did not like too much about how that movie ended was it left it on that note. Um, And I, here's the thing kind of, I know we're going to go talking into this about this being a trilogy and shared universe, but I'm wondering if this is going to be something that Eminem Chairman is going to try to conclude or wrap up in this glass movie. I don't know. He's thinking about bringing Casey back into the story. If she is going to play a part in this narrative he's telling, but that's she, 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 she is in the, in the next one. Okay. So she is. Okay, good. So, so that might be something that they're going to try to resolve because that was the one problem I had with split is they'd never resolved that. And I yep. feel, I feel like maybe kind of going into this movie glass, maybe that's something M. Night Shyamalan is going to try to conclude with. I think some yeah. thing that he's trying to explore with Casey is something that is, he's kind of like trying to explain in all these three characters, Kevin, um, Bruce Willis, as well as Emmanuel Jackson's character, all playing into how she's going to turn out into the end. What choices can she make? Where she is, she fall in line in the, the, the story of the human condition. So I don't know, like we'll have to see, but I feel like you're right, Joe, maybe how he handled it could have been a little bit better, but I think there is a place or is there's a reason why he put that in split the way he did. Yeah, I agree. I, I had the same same problem with the ending. It's just it, it left off there, and I, I that was that was the kind of like major point that I didn't really care for in the movie was just it just her 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 story ended there, mm-hmm. 
And it, I was just like, why? I, we we ha- after setting it up so through so many flashbacks and playing mm-hmm. such like an important role in the very mm-hmm. end of the film, mm-hmm. I was so disappointed that we didn't see a resolution to that. Mm-hmm. It was it was frustrating. I, I I'm not convinced that M Night doesn't think he concluded her arc in Split, and we'll see when Glass comes out because Glass has the potential to mm-hmm. fix a lot of my issues with this because i i think on the surface there's a very interesting thing to be said here uh and i have to go into some details about the actual plot so if you go back to in split when she has the the flashback to seeing her confrontation with her uncle where she's a little girl holding Mm -hmm. the gun on her uncle and she doesn't pull the trigger Mm -hmm. uh even even after he abused her and i i want to say what m night Shyamalan's going for is showing that she regrets not pulling the trigger all those years ago and her confrontation with the beast at the end of the movie is her way to rectify that by pulling the trigger on the beast she's in another situation where there is an aggressor who has held her against her will and she's going to pull the trigger now this is her big moment of redemption Mm -hmm. and she pulls the trigger and nothing happens the beast is still around and he's and she wasn't able to kill him. I think on the surface, that is a fascinating thing to explore mm-hmm. in that she regrets not taking violence against her aggressor all those years ago. And now she takes violence against a new aggressor and finds out that no, actually violence was not the answer all along. You had to get out of the situation and expose him for what he is as opposed to just killing him that's not the way to make the problem go away mm-hmm. and i think that is an interesting route to explore mm-hmm. i'm not convinced that m night Shyamalan knew that he was doing that or was necessarily very aware of that because in the end the beast gets away like like she only escapes because he lets her live and that's really the problematic part with with this whole thing for me mm-hmm. in that I, if he was going that route with that whole talking about the if, if violence accomplishes anything in terrible situations, mm-hmm. that that that's that's interesting. But if he was going with that route, I don't feel like he knew how to conclude it properly. Mm-hmm. And the only way that you could conclude that is have her sitting in the car at the end and telling the cops about her uncle. The fact that he leaves that open to interpretation at the end bothers me. Well, because and, uh, that yeah. shouldn't be no. open. Like, 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 no. like. It, no. If she goes back to her uncle, what was all this for? What was yeah. the whole backstory for? It yeah. all makes no sense. Yeah. It only makes sense if she tells the cop about it. So, so I'm going to yeah. kind of maybe move on from this if it's okay, and kind of get into this topic of this these these three movies. Is this kind of like, how does this work as a trilogy? Is I mean, obviously it is a trilogy. He's already come down as that. But does this work more as like a shared universe kind of series? Or is this actually like a cinematic trilogy? Because two are, the both are different um, kinds of um, universes when you think about it. And I actually have this affirmation of like what M. Night Shyamalan has presented with these three films. And maybe what he brought up or didn't resolve yet with Casey's story arc is actually something he's been trying to say all along with these three films. I actually have a firm belief that maybe what we're going to see in class with Casey's character, Joe, maybe what you kind of uh, propose that she is going to do and how she'll play a part in the glass story is going to be something what he's aimed for this whole entire trilogy to talk about. Yeah. Do you, do you have any expectations for where, for, for, for how they're going to tie these three movies, uh, Alex going into glass? Not really. Um, <laughs> to be honest with you. Well, I, I, like, Kind of, kind of going with whether it's more of a shared universe or a trilogy. I think it's probably. I feel like it's more of a trilogy rather than mm-hmm. shared universe. It'd be, it'd be. I think everyone kind of wants to tie everything. It's like, oh, Marvel's got a shared universe. Mm-hmm. Any two movies that relate, it's a shared universe. Mm-hmm. I, I think really, it's just a trilogy. So my, I, I think I kind of fall in the middle on this this topic mm-hmm. because I think yes, technically. The Israel 177 trilogy is a shared universe because they all take place in the same universe. And yeah. and Split is its own movie. It works without Unbreakable. Mm-hmm. Unbreakable is its own movie. It works without Split. Mm-hmm. But they both happen to inhabit the same space. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about this, though, with Split specifically, is 
Split being in the Unbreakable con, uh, the Split being in the Unbreakable Universe actually gives more context to the events of the movie because you get because you can watch Split just on its own as this weird supernatural psychological thriller, uh, contained space thriller about this crazy guy that can change his body chemistry. Mm-hmm. But then putting that in the context of of the supervillain origin story mm-hmm. that all of a sudden you start thinking about Unbreakable and how Unbreakable try to do normal human beings with slightly exaggerated, extraordinary abilities. And you put that in the context of, oh, Kevin is doing that. That makes it, I think it adds another dimension to Split. Now Split, I think works without it, but I think it's connection to Unbreakable makes it more interesting and i think that with glass it has the full potential to really let that all play out because you when you, the first time you watch split if you don't know about the ending mm-hmm. you don't see it as a supervillain origin story then that end recontextualizes everything and now you're going to watch the same character in a straight up superhero drama with him being one of the villains mm-hmm. But I do think that thematically, all the movies tying together, and I really hope, especially with Casey's arc, it'll tie in a lot more into Glass. Mm-hmm. So I think that it is both technically a shared universe, but they also stand on their own as a thematic trilogy alongside the Three Colors trilogy, the Glaciation mm-hmm. trilogy, right. the Three Color, Three Flavors Cornetto trilogy. Yeah, and actually, one thing I want to actually comment on is like you know, as uh, M Night Shyamalan has you know been promoting this movie up to its production, he has uh, often claimed you know as he's kind of come back from you know this uh, doing this resurgence again, uh, he has claimed like you know he wants to treat each of these movies as their own standalone movie. Like even though they do belong in this trilogy, that they all like have these characters interacting, he is treating each one as saying something new and not relying on the, the predecessor to continue the story. So it's still kind of very interesting on how Glass is going to pander out with yeah. like, with like he is bringing these characters back. He's going to try and resolve um, loose ends with these narratives, but he's still treating it as its own entity. And that actually just gets me kind of curious because I think right now, everyone who hears the term shared universe or trilogy, they all have this expectation of it's this continuous narrative. And we did a podcast a while back on shared universes and we explored this, um, how there are some universes or shared universes where uh, they, uh, you know, they tried to have this ongoing narrative and it's never really going to kind of end it's just going to keep going and going whereas you know m night Shyamalan, i think he really wants to conclude with this one but still have it say its own thing so i think it gets me really curious because i think what he might be doing is he's going to break the mold that most of hollywood is expecting now of these shared universes and he might be doing something different and kind of break our expectations of what we're expecting yeah i i really for me i i really don't see how like you're saying, Unbreakable stands on its own. Split stands on its own. I don't see how Glass is going to be able to stand on its own mm. because of like the heavy reliance on the characters from Split and from Unbreakable. I it's I feel like it's going to be really hard to be able for that to stand on its own two legs and, mm-hmm. and present itself as its as its own movie. One identity in an individual with dissociative identity disorder can have high cholesterol. One. There have been cases where one identity is allergic to bee stings. The others are not. The identities have different IQs. They have different physical strengths. One personality is a Russian weightlifter and can lift three times his body weight. Have these individuals, through their suffering, unlocked the potential of the brain? I think I agree with Alex in this one. Uh, Only that, not having seen Glass, I don't, I mean, even in the marketing, Glass is in a very strange mm-hmm. area where you have to market it, talking about the connections between oh, yeah. Unbreakable and Split. But the interesting thing about Split, uh, and I thought about this after I saw it the first time, is that, that that twist ending, I don't think it'll have the same effect on a movie-going audience ever again in the future. I think that twist ending can only work within the context of when people saw it in theaters when it came out. Mm-hmm. Because if you're a new generation of moviegoers and you're looking up movie series, mm-hmm. 
-hmm. and you want to watch Glass. Oh, James McAvoy, Bruce Willis looks, looks really cool. Oh, it's the third movie in a trilogy. I'll go back and watch the first two. So you go back and you watch Unbreakable, knowing it's part of the series. Then you watch Split, knowing it's part of the series. And that end stinger comes up. That's not a twist ending anymore. That's just, oh, we're reaffirming that this is, takes place in the same universe and it's teasing Bruce Willis will be back in the new one. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. Is and I'm not saying that in a negative way necessarily. I just think it's very interesting that that twist ending only works as a twist ending mm -hmm. at that one very specific moment of time to a very specific subset of people who had seen Unbreakable before right. seeing Split. Yeah. Because marketing <laughs> yeah. glass, like you have to give away the twist ending to Split. No. Yeah. You have yeah. to. It's the only way it's going to work. Yeah. I mean, it's. And that kind of brings up this interesting point of like, you know, why this idea of shared universes existed. Like, is this something that uh, will only work for the, you know, diehard M. Night Shyamalan fans to really appreciate? Um, or is it something like just new audiences who don't know about M. Night Shyamalan will still embrace? Like, that's going to be the interesting, you know, phenomenon we'll have to see when Glass finally does come out is what the rest of the audience's reaction is going to be the, the few things i just hope overall with glass is that he resolves casey's arc one way or another um that what she went through and what she underwent in split um gets resolved and she comes out in the end learning something from this if these characters somehow learn something or complete their arcs as well after interacting with each other um, and that whatever M. Night Shyamalan was trying to say in this narrative kind of wraps up very nicely, that there are no hanging loose ends. Only because I feel like this only works as a trilogy and not as like a, you know, we're going to go on and on and on and add more, you know, spinoffs or whatever. I agree. Uh, yeah. M. Night has said that if if the ideas for future sequels comes up, he'll he'll explore them. But for right now, this is, this is it for him. He, as far as he's concerned, these three movies were what he set out to make from the beginning. This is what he has finally concluded with. I am very excited mm -hmm. that he had a chance to do this because I am a, a yeah. fan of, of, of Shyamalan mm -hmm. at, in, at the end of the day, mm -hmm. despite you know the problems he's had mm -hmm. in the past. But I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how he concludes it with Glass. I'm mm -hmm. curious, will it have the crazy over-the-top tone of Split or will it have the more grounded, somber tone of unbreakable i guess we'll see this mm -hmm. week yeah i mean he's, he's got a lot to, he's got a lot to wrap up mm -hmm. um so yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to see how he does it. i think he's probably going to go for a little more of the overtop stuff because mm -hmm. you it's hard it's hard to not go with that with the uh with james mcavoy's character i would i would not be disappointed if they did <laughs> oh no yeah I, I i think i like split i think honestly i think i like split more than unbreakable at least more than i remember liking mm -hmm. unbreakable so i would i would totally be on board for it yeah all righty uh do you guys have anything else to say or uh, about both movies shared universe m night as a whole as long as, as long as m night Shyamalan makes a cameo in it that's that's all <laughs> i'm kind of looking forward to see oh oh oh, oh, oh wait, wait, wait a second wait a second i have something to say about that real quick mm -hmm. m night has a yeah. cameo in both unbreakable and in split yeah. yeah is yeah, that the I'll... same character like can we, can we presume that the drug dealer in the in unbreakable went on to work at, at an apartment complex in split i think oh. that's actually kind of fun see that might be just like <laughs> the little easter egg people are going to be watching it's like yes it's the same guy <laughs> that'd be hilarious his character was so weird in, in split i did not like him <laughs> I think that's just, uh, see, I love like uh, M. Night Shyamalan, how he took like the Hitchcock approach of like, I'm going to insert myself in all my films in one way or another. And just, that's just like <laughs> something that just tickles people's fancy when they go to see any of his movies is like, let's see where he's at. Let's it's see just, how yeah. he's going to find the story. It's just it's not fan service at that point. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, it won't be as cringy as it was when he did that in Lady in the Water. With oh, that was, the, that was, that was a mistake. I'm the writer of the cookbook <laughs> and it's going to change the world. Oh my gosh. And on that note, we will conclude this episode of the Film Illiterates podcast. Guys, we made it. We finished an episode. We did it. Another we episode. Finished two episodes in one year. This is a record. <laughs> now, can we make it to three episodes? Let's see how far nope. we go. We're going to wait two years now. <laughs> um, uh, Nathan, where can people find you online? Uh, I mean, you can obviously look at me on Instagram for Nathan Stone Films. Those are three words with underscores. Uh, I'm also, you know, here on the Film Illiterates podcast and helping Joe make content. So you can follow me there. Um, yeah. Awesome. Alex? Um, 
you can find me obviously you can find me here we got a bunch of old, uh, old uh, film alert arts episodes to look mm-hmm. through so be sure to dig into those yeah um elsewhere uh if you want to check out what i'm listening to uh i'm on uh, rate your music under half scrim h-a-l-f-s-c-r-i-m all one word um i pretty much log every thing i listen to on there so you can follow along um other than that that's that's kind of the only place i'm on twitter mm-hmm. alex d Patton, but mostly <laughs> just gonna find like overwatch and destiny stuff so don't expect a whole lot of movies. that was that was that, 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 that was almost a cry of follow me on this this this, this radio thing do you do, do not follow me on twitter <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I mean like i don't use I, I pretty much just look at twitter just for like updates on video games and like mm-hmm. updates on like professional overwatch that's right. kind of all i use it for to be honest with you. i think i think uh, also alex is on to like you know to try and make sure he doesn't have too much of a, a scandalous twitter feed account or history yeah oh absolutely yeah 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 we've learned that throughout this past year already (laughs) of course and i am uh joe campbell you can find me uh here you can find you find me on twitter i'm at i i manage the film illiterate's twitter account so if you want to see me annoy people on twitter that's film (laughs) underscore illiterates i think on twitter just search film illiterates on Twitter. That's 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 where you'll find us. You can find us on YouTube and at filmilliterates.com. Yep. And with that, everybody uh, to the limit. <laughs> I don't know. What did I <laughs> keep it Have easy, a nice folks? Day. Have yeah. a nice day. Yeah, See go, you go later. Definitely go check out Glass and enjoy it if you can. And yeah, just keep following us. We'll be doing more podcasts. This was yeah, a tweet at us, comment at us, let us know what you thought of either the. Uh... The previous movies and uh, once class coming out, we'd uh, yeah. be hearing what you have to say. I, I failed our outro. I'm sorry, guys. No See worries. Don't worry. See, that's no, what we got you back. Gotcha. <laughs>